What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. I am here with Bill Zimmerman breaking down a Bears loss to the Cowboys where I don't know how it happened, Bill, but somehow the Bears just lost a football game by 20 points, and I am ecstatic. The Bears offense scored more points than anybody scored against the number two defense DVOA-wise in football than they've had scored on them all season long fields looked like not only there was a plan but that he executed that plan well he seems like he's taken real steps forward i understand he ultimately ended up taking four sacks none of the sacks felt as egregious as some of the sacks we've seen earlier this year frankly they looked like a good dallas defense eventually getting theirs i don't know i am i can't believe i am as over the moon as a game filled with so much defensive sloppiness, but for a year that we've all labeled developmental, at least here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel, Bill, this feels like everything we could have possibly wanted. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel good about this game. This was a a very good Dallas Cowboys team. This was a top-notch defense, as you mentioned, and how Justin Fields looked offensively. And it, it, it doesn't... This is one of those things where this is really, this is an eye test kind of a thing. You know, you don't want to sit there, well, Justin Fields didn't throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. He didn't run for 125 yards. Whatever it might be that if you just hunt box scores to decide if guys are playing well or not, you're not, you're going to miss the forest for the trees here because Justin Fields, he was decisive with the football. He is electric when the football is in his hands. And some of the things the, the, the development, it's not just the command that he has of the offense. That I'll bring up two little plays that I loved today that really just kind of show you Justin Fields growing. One, and it's a simple one, he threw the ball away when he rolled out towards the sideline in the second mm-hmm. half. He has been taking sacks over there. I mean, we used to scream at Mitch Trubisky for running out of bounds five yards behind the line of scrimmage instead of throwing it away. Justin Fields would keep taking sacks over by the sideline when he was out of the pocket. No intentional grounding. Justin, throw the football away. Today, he did that. And the other thing he did that I loved was on a, I don't remember the exact situation. It was third down. I think it was about third and four. And Fields was rolling out to his left and, the, the defender was spied on him really well. He was really kind of trapped. And Fields was running, but he held up for a second, like, hey, I'm going to throw the football. Got the defender to slow down, and then he took off, zipped right past him, and got the first down. That awareness of what he can do and how to ma- manipulate a defender and knowing to throw the ball away, those are the type of things you didn't see him doing no. in week one and week two. So forget just the dynamic runs he's having and forget you know the decisive throws it's these little things that are going to give him a complete game that just you know like like you said over the moon you feel really good I mean when I did my podcast after the Vikings game it was all positive because of Justin Fields second half and this one this isn't this isn't a second half performance this is really a start to finish performance complete game you really have to feel good about Justin Fields I mean, you have to, right? To to use a couple more, Bill, not only that, or not only did the Bears get the chunk plays, not only did we see multiple plays. I mean, I could think to myself of probably four at least that I don't think were arguable that better receivers make the play. A better receiver at least draws defensive pass interference on the underthrown deep ball to Equinamia St. Brown, which I do not, I don't care that it was underthrown because the defender had his back turned. When you leave that ball short, you're guaranteeing a flag normally and plenty of receivers catch that ball almost every single Sunday but if you're annoyed about deep ball placement he put a ball right in Bayless Jones hands that Jones couldn't haul in 45 yards downfield at least I thought the throw to Pettis was really solid I thought the second throw in the end zone to Equinamia St. Brown was really solid there were tons of throws throughout this game that if you really wanted to be ticking ticky tack about all his teammates let him down then like, okay, you can, but even better, Bill, on that throw to Valus. So that cost him a down. It was second and 10. Then he followed it up with the Houdini-like uh, escape where he was able to get Leighton Vander Esch to turn his hips, sink backwards, and then he continued on to ultimately throw that touchdown we saw to Nikhil Harry. I mean, Fields overcame adversity. 
consistently within this game even further bill fields has gotten better about dealing with the rusher that's coming at him during the quick game so that he can lean to the side and just kick the ball out sidearm for six to eight yard gains on first down yeah, love I some mean, of those arm angle throws today right right it's it's little a lot of these things are subtle pressure in his face he threw a strike to darnell mooney to crack yep. open a drive that ultimately finished in a uh in a khalil herbert touchdown not everything is statistically sexy and i get it but also on the fumble play which sure I would love it if Justin touched uh, touched Micah Parsons down. I'd love it even more if Dar- or if David Montgomery didn't fumble when he was in the, in the wide open field. But sure, we can give him a loaf for that. Can I at least sing the praises, Bill, about the fact that he got out of the pocket, he drew a rusher, and then he checked it to Demo anyways and gave him a chance to convert on a third and 17. Like Montgomery was one broken tackle away from getting the yardage. It's this felt like a top to bottom clinical performance for a uh, like from a quarterback, especially a year two quarterback. And on a day, if I'm allowed to be comparative, Bill, because I know technically his compatriots don't make a difference to Justin Fields, but on a day where. Trevor Lawrence concluded his game in London with a nasty interception that ultimately iced the game on a day where both Mac Jones and Zach Wilson looked particularly bad with Zach Wilson throwing three interceptions again, marching into Dallas. It, this bill, this was the second dry game they've played all year and sh- surprise, surprise fields looked confident. He looked comfortable. He delivered the ball where he need, where it needed to be, when it needed to be there. And not every single play was ostensibly successful. I can't sit here and pretend that, wow, everything was perfect. But for crying out loud, the plays that weren't, like I know at least one of the sacks, the Bears tried to run like a crossers play similar to Mesh, and just nobody was open because there is a talent gap between the number two defense and one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL. But when you're finding Cole Komet, this is a bit of a jab, but I'll do it anyways. (laughs) When you're finding Cole Komet open in the end zone for his first touchdown in over two years, you're doing something right. So I'll credit Getze, who's getting a lot of heat because he's calling an unconventional game. So does Greg Roman. A lot of people hate it, but again, Number two defense after having done the same thing to Bill Belichick is giving a lot of people a lot of problems. And like, yes, again, there were imperfect or there were imperfections. There were blemishes. I'll, I'll ask you a silly one, Bill. Do you think we have to take the interception that he could have, should have, would have thrown on the roughing of the passer or the interception that he could have, should have, would have thrown to Dante Pettis all too seriously or within the context of the game? Do they really not change much for you? Yeah, see, it doesn't change much for me because there's a lot of you can play a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda on on both ways, right? What if Vellis catches the ball? What if Brown catches it? Like I can go, you you want to sit there and play what if with the interceptions. I can play what if with the deep balls that they could not catch. I mean, and these were throws that weren't, oh, well, if he catches it, it's a great throw. But if he doesn't catch it, you understand. Or it's a great catch. But if he doesn't catch it, you understand. It's a, it's a hard catch to make. No, these were right on the hands. They were perfectly thrown footballs, and Fields got nothing but an incomplete pass for him. So if if that's going to happen, where he's losing 70, 80, 100 yards because of some poor play by the receivers, then certainly I'm not going to fault him for getting fortunate on an interception. Exactly. I mean, look, I get it. Plenty of people out there want to see more, but I also think, frankly, that Chicago can be, I, I don't know, I think Chicago can kind of be a pressure cooker sometimes, Bill. I know it's the corniest comment that you see on the internet when people are like, you're being too hard on professional millionaire, but at the same time, that's what good quarterbacking looks like. I mean, he, you put up 29 points, you should win a football game, don't you think? And so we do have to talk at least a little bit about the defense. I mean, Bill, what do you think went wrong? I mean, look, the I, I think the bottom line here is, first of all, let's talk about the talent gap. And let's talk about that Dak Prescott is the top 10 quarterback. And let's talk about Tony Pollard is the best running back on Dallas. He is now better than Ezekiel Elliott. And he showed that again today. And CeeDee Lamb is a quality NFL receiver and made some nice plays. You know, Schultz is a solid tight end. They've got talent everywhere. This is a good offense. You know, the people who are like, they, they're winning with Cooper Rush. They should keep Cooper Rush out there. Those people just needed to have, you know, a piece of tape slapped across their, their, their mouths because that was just ludicrous 
talk. So, I mean, the bottom line is here. You get, first of all, you have to look at a talent gap. The Bears have had a couple moments better defending the run, but this is a team that cannot defund, defend the run well, largely because of the guys up front. They are not ready for, the, for that type of, you know, dynamic runner that Pollard can be. You know, Roquan was not particularly, you know, outstanding today. And, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, the secondary, some of these guys that had been pretty sticky had some had some bad moments. And I know, you know, Eddie Jackson with a nice interception and all, but, you know, uh, Kendall Vildor got beat a couple times. Brisker got beat. You know, there was, you know, these type of things happen when you have quality offensive players on the other side of the ball. Now, 49 points, that's, you know, especially the way things went in the first half where they had no way to stop the Dallas Cowboys. And I think the Cowboys finished right around nine yards of play. I mean, when, when, when you're grabbing that, that per play, there's just no way to stop an offense. And, you know, this is a defense that, you know, I was talking about this kind of last week. This is a defense that does have talent gaps. You know, we, we focus on the offense because the offensive gaps are more glaring, but this defense does have talent gaps and, uh, credit Williams and, and credit flus for a lot of this season, having this unit play as well as it has, despite having those talent gaps. And I think this particular game was just one of those games where, you know, the, 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 you know, they, did they, I guess they played a little better in the second half, the defense, but it was just, it was too much to overcome. They got back on their heels. You know, they just felt tired. A lot of times you saw hands on the hips. And I just think that this Dallas offense just took it to them. I mean, truly, Bill, you're not going to win a lot of football games when you start out giving up four straight touchdowns in your first four drives. I mean, <laughs> the, the worst part about this, I would say, like defensively speaking, is we've talked on this podcast before. I'm sure you've talked about it on your podcast before. The defensive line doesn't have a ton of juice on it. I mean, you definitely don't have what you'd call a run plugger. And the Bears just traded Robert Quinn. So even though I know he's not super helpful in the run game, you did like get worse on defensive line over the last week so now you trot this or you trot this defensive line out you go up against dallas dallas has a solid offensive line they're not one of the best 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 in football but they're certainly pretty good and they just graded the bears and right now if you want to take advantage of the bears defense what you got to do is you got to show you can run the ball they did uh they ran it would you believe it bill 29 times for 200 yards that is 6.9 yards per carry and if you felt like i did it sure felt like it i mean it felt like anytime they wanted to run the ball they could so that meant that all the play action that they went with dak prescott that has been killing the bears this year play action once you show that you can run the ball a little bit i know Tons of people out there. Uh, I'm not so sure. Statistics say that uh, you don't actually have to run the ball well for play action to make a difference. Against the Bears in particular makes a huge difference. And it just started to look easy, easy, easy for Dak Prescott, who I don't even know if we necessarily got – I don't know how much pressure the Bears actually got. They got one sack on the day, but that felt like about it, where Justin Fields was having to dip and duck around complicated pockets. Dak Prescott felt like he was out on a practice field, Bill. I mean, it looked awful. Some of it, I'm sure, was some of the disguises that the Bears were trying to do, but when you give up 25 yards and a quarterback sneak, when uh, CeeDee Lamb gets wide, 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 wide open off of Jaquan Brisker not really knowing how to play cover through zone coverage as a safety, there were a lot of things going on. I can't help thinking it largely starts or starts up front, but gosh, I mean, not a great day for the defense, where the only positive thing I could say about it is, Bill, there are a lot of pieces on this defense that are just not going to be here next year. Like, yes, we could talk about, say, Eddie Jackson, who I thought was up and down. Obviously, he made the clear biggest play the defense had on this team. Sure. Or, like, with a pick that was classic Eddie Jackson. But at the same time, I mean, like, you tell me, how committed do you really think the Bears are to, I'll name them, Angelo Blackson, Dominique Robinson as a starting edge rusher, Travis Gibson as a starting edge rusher, uh, Justin Jones as uh, they've got, Nick Morrow, they've got Kendall Vildor still as a starting corner. Like how many positions on this defense do you really think are locked in for next year? Yeah. And, and look, and there is just a handful, even, even Roquan Smith, I assume Roquan Smith's going to be back and most likely on the tag. I don't know if they're actually going to come to a long-term agreement, 
but they're really, I mean, other than the two, the two second rounders and Jalen Johnson, you really don't feel that kind like Eddie Jackson has been fantastic. And if he keeps playing like this, you know, overall, he's going to be back next year. But at Eddie Jackson's age, if he tails off in the second half of this season, they might even go another direction there. There is no one that's that safe on this defense overall, especially up front. You know, are they just going to dump Travis Gibson for no reason? Of course no. not. You know, he's under contract. It's a rookie deal. You know, he'll make some plays from time to time. So, uh, of course not. But, you know, we, we bring this up all the time when you talk about, like, what Ryan Pace did after Phil Emery and how much he did. And the only defender he kept was Kyle Fuller. But when he took over, you did not necessarily expect Kyle Fuller to last on this defense because he he got hurt. Then he was really he played really poorly. And then he just came into his own and figured it out. You know, someone like Kendall Vildor, could he be that? I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Kyle Fuller was at sure. Kyle Fuller. But is he one of those guys that we all wrote off after how atrocious he was, you know, to start his career has improved tremendously. I'm not sitting there saying he's, he's an all pro or a pro bowl caliber player, but he has improved tremendously. And maybe that continues where you sit there and go, maybe Vildor could be a piece, you know, where we didn't expect that at all. But I mean, you can kind of circle some guys in the secondary as pieces and you know, Roquan can play football and it just kind of depends on how things shake out financially whether he's here or not, but you know, Justin Jones was a stopgap signing after Ogan Joby didn't, didn't work out. And Blackson mm-hmm. is just a, a guy and Pennell is a guy. And those are guys that are just until they find their defensive tackle. Those are the guys who are just filling time up front. And that's, you know, I'll, I'll give, I think it was Olin Krutz credit. Now I, I know a lot of Olin Krutz has been getting a lot of crap from a lot of Bears fans <laughs> for Sam Muscatford defense, but at the beginning of the year, he said the defensive line is going to be a bigger problem this year than the offensive line. And uh, the offensive line is weird. It's this Jekyll and Hyde with the pass pro and the, and the run blocking. But when you see the game like it was today, and we haven't really gotten into the offensive line, I'm sure we will. He, that, that, that seems like an accurate statement because they don't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback and they certainly struggle stopping the run. I mean, Bill, they're categorically awful. Like they showed that stat at the start of the game, and I'm not trying to pretend that Fox necessarily hits us with the greatest stats on earth, but the bears are 29th in run defense, even after two relatively decent weeks of defending the run. I mean, the teams that can run on them, I'll, I'll use a couple Packers. The uh, like the Packers game was horrible. The Texans game was fine, but the Vikings game was horrible again. This Dallas game was horrible. I'm surprised it wasn't worse in New England, if I can be really honest with you. And the 49ers had an easy day running the ball, too. When you can, you do. I mean, the the defensive line just doesn't really get you any stops out of the ordinary, at the very least. And that, in and of itself, it would be a bigger problem if we had any expectations that they would have been good in the first place. I mean, that's, I think, where I'm at peace, is that I'm not watching Akeem Hicks suddenly struggle. Right. This isn't the Eddie Goldman fall off where he came back after the opt out year and then could suddenly couldn't control two gaps like quite like he could, but was still being paid that big time money. This is Angela Blackson, who's a reserve defensive tackle that's being asked to play a starter's load. This is Justin Jones, who was the three technique on the worst run defense team in the NFL last year. And would you believe it? uh, Somehow the poor run defense followed him. Funny how that works, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> this this Bears defense isn't done yet. To use an EJ Snyder example that I think was on your show, like the house isn't fully built. It burned yeah. down a while ago, and we're still just putting a couple of rooms together bit by bit at a time. And so there's some of the stuff that I know I'm I'm relaxed about it now because expectations are where they are. And in the future, obviously, if they invest some money and those guys don't come through, that'll be a real shame. But for now, all we're really doing is watching a lot of the young defensive backs. And I mean, the Bears keep getting put in this spot, Bill, if I could go on like a schematic soliloquy for a moment where Kendall Vildor, for instance, is not a great cover three corner. 
and just a very okay at best cover one corner. He's really good at cover two and cover four. Now, as I'm sure you know, Bill, you call cover one and cover three when you're either in man or when you're trying to stick an extra safety in the box to do what? To defend the run. So these teams that can run the ball are pushing the Bears into situations where I don't think their players are near as good as when they've got more DBs on the field and say cover two or cover four or cover six or any of the more pass-oriented defensive back coverage. So you add some beef on this defensive line, and I really do think this game plan could work. The problem is, is that until then, we've got a couple more Cowboys left on the schedule. Like we get the Bills, they'll do it again. (laughs) <laughs> yep. yep there's that's the thing is the beef isn't coming this year that's that's the problem and and you know when you look at this roster and we we can talk about the talent deficiencies but if you look at every position group there are guys in the position group you know tight end it depends on whether you like Cole Komet or not but you know the other position groups you know you you see it like you can see Khalil Herbert and 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 what he can do with the football we know Darnell Mooney is a good wide receiver Roquan Smith right. we know is a good off-ball linebacker you know, we talked about the secondary already. You look at all those position groups and you may be like, wide receiver is dreadful, but Darnell Mooney is there, right? When you look at the defensive line, you especially now that Robert Quinn has been traded, and, you know, let's not pretend that Robert Quinn was, you know, having a 2021 season again. Um, but when you, you look at this defensive line without Robert Quinn, who is a player like a Darnell Mooney or a Tevin Jenkins or, you know, any of those secondary guys are real quick. Who is a player on this defensive line that you circle and say, when, if this Bears team, if this rebuild works and they're contending for a Super Bowl in 2024, like the 2018 team did, you know, kind of build up three years from now, are any of those defensive linemen going to be key contributors on this team? I mean, Travis Gibson, maybe as a, maybe he's a starting edge maybe he's a rotational edge dominic robinson maybe a rotational edge like they might you know still be on this roster dominic robinson because they'll still be on a rookie deal kind of a thing but you're not circling any of these you're not circling one defensive lineman as akeem hicks or even leonard floyd or obviously khalil mack or eddie goldman that defensive front that they had before that could do so much on their own as a front four they could stop the run on their own you know, Leonard Floyd, for as much crap as, as Bears fans and everyone gave him, was great at setting the edge opposite Khalil Mack. You know, so you have you had a defensive front before of four guys that allowed Eddie Jackson to do the things he could, that Fangio could do, and, and they could stop the run a decent amount when those four guys were healthy without having to bring extra guys up in the box. When you have a front four like that, it just opens up so many things defensively. And when you have the exact opposite, then everyone in that back seven has to do extra to try and keep this defense. And it's been working in the second halves of games, but you know, today it didn't. Nope. And you know what? It's just, that just doesn't bother me. I mean, truly like this is, this is year one of a culture change bill. I mean, if anything, it points the finger at the things that obviously need upgrading. Now it's funny that you mentioned the beef and how it's not coming because if there is one thing that I think might give bears fans hives, obviously everybody, myself included, I gotta be honest, wants to see the bears draft a receiver in the first round of this next year. And no, we don't need to talk about the draft, but I will say that yes, post game podcast, the bears just gave up 42 defensive points. And just because they turned it over and got scored on uh, for the seventh, doesn't necessarily mean bill that the offense wouldn't have come right on down and scored more points. Had the bears given their offense the chance to zero field goals for crying out loud, all touchdowns. They either got stopped uh, and punted or I mean, also the pick, or they just kept scoring rough day for the defense, but I got to ask Bill. I mean, you know, you've seen the Vita Veas that play in this league, the Aaron Donalds, like the guys that you get in the first round are just different than the guys that you get in the second round. I mean, how likely just while we're, I guess a little bit tangential, do you think it is that the bears actually take say a receiver or an offensive player in the first round versus some defensive beef that would obviously go a very long way? Yeah. And look, and that's the thing. And, you know, we've, I I think you and I talked about it when you were on my pod over, over the summer that, you know, depending on where the bears draft and depending on how things fall, that if they have that opportunity at that special three tech, that they may go out and, and get that special three tech. And if they do, 
then they better turn around, you know, and yeah, we don't need to talk about the next off season too much, but you better turn around in the second round and take a wide receiver because oh, you better. can get elite wide receivers in round two. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, there's a laundry list of phenomenal wide receivers that came out of round two or later. Usually after by, by about round three, you don't really find them in rounds four five and six. Those I'm talking about those elite level wide receivers. You right. can get good wide receivers, but those elite level, you know, usually you can find them in round two and round three. So they better come back and do that because, you know, look, I know they have an obscene amount of money that they can spend and, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. But are they, you know, and, and and I see people on Twitter and stuff a lot. Oh, well, you know, they could trade for this guy and that guy, you know, trying to talk about wide receivers that they could get. But if Darnell Mooney is going to stick around on this roster, are he's probably going to have to get somewhere near $20 million a year. If Mooney sticks around, is Ryan Poles going to pay two wide receivers over $20 million a year? I don't know if he's going to. Could he, you know, but if you, if you pay for one wide receiver and then you pay for like a, a mid-level, you know, 12, $13 million guy and draft a guy, well, now you've got a core group of guys here that can be a special wide receiver unit. So I think that's going to be interesting this off season is to see how Ryan Poles kind of uses the funds he has and doesn't, you know, spend egregiously, spends intelligently and realizes that, yes, they need wide receivers, but they also need defensive linemen. Uh, there's there's plenty of you know offensive line. There are plenty of expensive positions that yep. the Bears have holes on that they are not going to be able to fill in just the draft. They have the money to do it. So yeah, so that's the thing. Like, how do you build a wide receiver unit? You've got to draft some, and they you know you know you see like Jalen Hurts and, and what he's doing with Brown and that kind of thing. I, you know, look, I like Darnell Mooney. Is Darnell Mooney ever going to be that elite top six, seven receiver in the league kind of threat? I don't know if he's going to be. Is he going to be a quality receiver in a, in a wide receiver group? Absolutely. Is he going to make great plays and great catches? Absolutely. But is he that difference maker where Justin Fields has it on third and nine and he just knows every time he's just got to put it up and Darnell Mooney's going to grab it for him? I don't know if Mooney's at that level. So it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how all this this plays out right and i mean look i just for anybody out there that's listened this far into the podcast and they are frustrated but for some reason you have kept listening first of all thank you we always appreciate the support <laughs> but second of all if it sounds if there's a reason just to make sure it's clear that bill and i are talking about other player additions within this it's because this defensive this defense isn't scheme away i don't know about you bill it's not like i'm staring at alan williams on a game like this and saying wow he he sucked. It, the Bears weren't really put in particularly bad positions. There's just not a great way to scheme around the fact that whenever the Cowboys wanted to open up a gaping hole on the ground, they just had to run two running plays because if they didn't get it the first time, they definitely got it the second. I mean, it felt as if the Bears were able to block, what would you say, like about one and a half guys per player. At least it felt that way, where when they wanted to move, they could. And that's that there's just not a lot of great schematic answers to that, that don't put your guys on islands in pass coverage. And when Kendall Vildor was on an island against Michael Gallup, Gallup's a better player. When CD Lamb has the Eddie Jackson one-on-one, -on -one, I love Eddie Jackson, but any good wide receiver up against a safety one-on-one, -on -one, if the safety wins that matchup, he's a magician. You know, there's, there's just... It's not that we're trying to be doom and gloom. We just want to be as real as possible about the fact that some pieces of this defense are not talent away. It's not Angelo Blackson had a bad game. It's the entire unit got smoked. And, yeah. and that's okay. I mean, yeah, there is, there's a talent gap. It's, it's very clear. And the, this Cowboys game was almost great just to see the talent gap. Forget the scheme, forget how fields perform, forget Getsy, forget all that. Just the players on the field and their one-on-one, -on -one, you know, opportunities. The Cowboys had more talent, period. And Both sides of the ball. Yeah. And you saw the talent gap there. And it's, there's, you know, coaching can only take you so far. You still need the talent on the field to turn 
you know, games in the W's. And, and the Bears don't have that yet. And that's going to take a little while. And the one thing I just want to respond to kind of Chris Armstrong and Cole uh, World there about Darnell Mooney. And I don't know if Mooney's going to get 20 million, but here's, here's what I will say about what we've seen this year in the NFL. Previously, offensive coordinators were able to scheme open mediocre wide receivers. So mediocre wide receivers get six, seven, 800 yards and, and be impactful in the offense. But we're seeing a lot more defenses play back. You're seeing a lot more defenses sitting in cover two, not as much single high. And what's happening in that? They're saying, we're not going to give you a six play, 75 yard drive opportunity anymore. You're going to need 12 or 13 plays to go 75 yards. And you're going to have to keep the ball underneath. And those mediocre wide receivers that were getting schemed open the last couple of years, they're not open anymore. So what is the difference makers in the offense again? You're seeing the elite wide receivers making a difference again, where those wide receivers who are more talented than their defensive player that's guarding them are getting open and finding the holes in the zones and and the gaps in the seams. So we're seeing wide receivers becoming more important again on the offense. Now, is Darnell Mooney that difference maker? I don't know. But is Darnell Mooney good enough where another NFL team might think he's a difference maker where he's going to say, if I'm not getting 20 million or at least 18, 19 million, remember what Chase, you know, like what, what Deontay Johnson and those type of guys got, if he's not getting that kind of money from the bears, he may sit there and go, well, I think somebody is going to give me that money. So we can sit there and say, Darnell Mooney's not a $20 million talent and he probably isn't. But in a free agent world where you want wide receivers who can make the difference, if the Bears don't think he is, someone probably will pay him that. And, Bill, we do this every single year, don't we? We take a player, we say, he'll probably get fill-in-the-blank money. And then everybody says, oh, come on, he's not worth fill-in-the-blank money. He's worth 75% less than that. And you're you're both right. I mean, we're talking about 2024's money. This year's, uh, I guess in this year's money terms, it's like a $16 million player. But then a year in the future, it's 10% increase. So now we're up to about $18 million. And then a year after that, it's another 10% increase. So we're up to about $20 million. I mean, I would tell you guys right now, if Darnell Moody was dominating harder, he'd get way more than $25 million, sure. or than $20 million a year. And so it's, you know, I mean, like I hear you, but the Bears are going to have almost $120 million of cap space. You could spend that on a whole new defensive line, a brand new linebacker, Roquan extension, Jalen extension, Mooney extension, and still have some money left over. Like it's, there's a lot of cash on the Bears. So a, a lot to get excited about when you're as cheap on offensive line as maybe you can be. Bill, we're going to step aside because the sponsors have been begging to get their word in. But on that, or afterwards, they're, I do want to ask you a couple your door down, telling them to just take a break. Right? After that, I want to make sure we step aside and just, I want to ask you about this offensive line because there are right. some pieces of it that I think are starting to excite. But let's get out of the way and we'll be right back. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm here with Bill Zimmerman. We're talking through a Bears-Cowboys game that left us with quite a lot to talk about. We've covered fields, though, Bill. The receivers, I personally believe they speak for themselves. Look, I am not going to come out here and try to just tear down Equinamia St. Brown and Dante Pettis for being Equinamia St. Brown and Dante Pettis. We know who they are. If anything, I would debate they're overperforming because they're making certain pieces of the offense competent which is amazing enough because it's it's not that like, wow, ESB is so bad. It's more that we are talking about a guy that got cut by the Packers and now he's starting for the Chicago Bears. But specifically when it comes to offensive line, Bill, look, I know the Bears can't get away from playing Sam Mustafer. And there's, I mean, apparently it's just impossible. Like he will find a way back into the roster. But left tackle Braxton Jones, is it just me or is he starting to come together? What do you think? Braxton Jones definitely had, you know, I thought, you know, it's one of those things where you watch the game and you, you never know quite if you're missing stuff, right? Especially with the offensive line. I always try and keep my eye on the offensive line as much as possible. But look, when you just watch it in real time and you're just kind of glancing down and seeing what the right side does this play, what the left side does this play, it's hard to get a full picture on, on how everything looked. But Braxton Jones really got out well and moved against the Patriots. I thought there were a lot of plays kind of sweeps to the to the left where Jones was out 
out in the second level, making blocks, leading the way, and just really looked looked the part. And he's had, you know, a couple rough games, especially kind of understanding what he was supposed to be doing within the plays previous to that. Now, we've seen some, some positives with him in the run game and, you know, some struggles in the pass game or whatever it might be. But he's been up and down a little bit and a little worrisome where is this guy going to get to that next level? But now you're seeing these last couple of weeks, you're seeing really solid performances from Braxton Jones. And you're seeing those solid performances without Cody Whitehair next to him. Right. And I'm a big believer in offensive linemen that, you know, the the uh, sum is greater than the individual parts, right? They need to be cohesive. Yes. I would much rather have, you know, if, if we're, you know, grading guys, I would much rather have five 70s than, you know, two 95s and three 45s. Because the 95s can't carry the other guys, and those other guys are just going to get blown up. So yep. and I think that was kind of Ryan Pace's mentality. And then I, you know, we don't need to get into all Pace's offensive line issues. <laughs> but, um, but Jones, and, and I'll tell you what, even if you're not an offensive line junkie, spend a few plays a game just watching Tevin Jenkins. I am thoroughly, especially in the run game, my God – I mean, his guys are getting knocked back four or five yards almost every play. He is just he is just a, a steamroller out there making plays, and he's helping out his other offensive linemen in pass. He's always looking for work, looking for work, meaning if there's no one coming at you in the pass block that you're looking left, looking right, and just leveling a guy. I mean, what he did to Matthew Judon uh, last week against New England, I mean, Jenkins just looks great out there, and mm-hmm. and – I am really enjoying, he gets to the second level really well, which I wasn't sure if that was going to be his game, but I think that is his game. You know, even if he just gets like a little body on a guy, you'll see a linebacker just fall back three yards. Uh, there, was, there was a play where Jenkins was supposed to have backside contain on the backer, uh, and there was a sweep to the left. And I, I don't remember if it was Herbert or Montgomery, probably Herbert, but there was a sweep to the left and Jenkins couldn't <laughs> quite get out there, but he just got onto his arm and just hit him enough where he knocked the backer back a good three or four yards where by the time he got over to the, the, to the sidelines and he was actually the guy who made the tackle, but it was already after we had gained like seven or eight yards instead of three yards. Cause that's, that, that's the kind of stuff, those little things that Tevin Jenkins is doing. So really like what I saw from Jenkins, cause I kind of paid attention to the right side a lot today. Cause I wanted to see what Riley reef still had in the tank, which looked pretty good from what I could tell. I want to go back and see kind of what he did. Um, you know, and compared to what Larry Borum has been doing out there, but I'm really enjoying Tevin Jenkins and Braxton Jones certainly seems to be coming into his own, especially both those guys in the run game. Bill, if you're going to tell me that while I've been watching Larry Borum get absolutely smoked by every solid edge rusher he faces, obviously we're talking about very talented players like Rashad Gary, like uh, Nick Bosa, like Matthew Judon, while Riley Reef could apparently hold his own against Marcus Lawrence and uh, Micah Parsons, I'm going to be frustrated. But <laughs> let's set that aside. I mean, this podcast sometimes turns this bears team this year is turning me into a hyperbolic homer because when i say tevin jenkins is starting to look like one of the best guards in football that obviously he's still very raw but like you're saying when he is at his best he is a difference maker from the guard position which is hard to find you know i mean whether it like you're saying sometimes these are backside contains but within this run scheme in particular your guards carry a lot of work i mean They've, they're the ones who have to get out to the second level. And because they're the ones out at the second level, they're the ones that can really determine whether your run is a solid gain or a huge gain. And is it really so surprising, Bill, that we're now starting to see runs that either hit to the right side or cut back to the right side that Khalil Herbert's starting to take for some massive gains, like on the ground? Tevin Jenkins is, is leading the way. And so is Braxton Jones. I mean, Braxton Jones is like watching Charles Leno inverted right now where his pass blocking is just okay but and and hopefully it gets better sure his run blocking is really good 
Like yeah. Prax Braxton Jones on these tackle pull plays is getting out, and you can see in the the eyes of defensive backs that they're just not really used to a tackle <laughs> charging at them like that because most left tackles don't. Like it's a pass protection league, and so a young gun like Braxton Jones getting out on the move and coming after people is just less common. The Bears are using it well. Look, it's not as simple as saying that they're cobbling together an offensive line out of two guys and some backups. But I will say that, like, I don't have high expectations for Michael Schofield. I'm not about to critique Michael Schofield any more than he deserves. What I will say is I think Fields is starting to manage the pocket a little bit better. I think sure. the offensive line, the offensive line in particular, is starting to realize, it seems, that they can they can wash guys down and that Fields will get out of the way that basically they're starting to learn not necessarily like what fields likes, but how to help fields create these jailbreak uh, scrambles that we're starting to see more and more and more of. And the best part is bill, as we start to see more of these jailbreak scrambles, defenses have to account for them. We are starting to see, including the first play of the game that, uh, or not first, the second play of the game where Dante Pettis got offensive pass interference on exactly the play I'm about to talk about, but plays where fields rolls out, finds a guy downfield. I liked Fields' guts. I liked the idea on that lofted ball to, I don't remember who it was, that Trayvon Diggs almost intercepted with one hand. I mean, I most, have a problem with that throw. most corners bite. <laughs> most corners are coming downhill eventually. Lofting that ball up and taking a shot doesn't bother me because if you make the play, it's huge. So I, I feel like on the offensive line in particular, we are starting to see some players show up that might be huge cap savings going forward. Cause I think you'll agree with me, Bill. If Braxton Jones is an acceptable left tackle, let alone if he's good, but if Braxton Jones and Tevin Jenkins are acceptable at their position, then theoretically you could bring white hair back. I cannot remember if this is the last year of his deal, but you could bring white hair back. You could sign a center and you could like draft a right tackle, or maybe you don't. Uh, and you can put together a solid offensive line. You could potentially even roll with Larry Borum and say that the right tackle spot's going to be just okay and just not run that way and quite as often, or at least not give him major responsibilities. The point is, is that if Braxton Jones and Tevin Jenkins play, continue to play as well as I would swear that they are playing because they just went up against the number two defensive line, or like number two defense in DVOA as well, that's that's great for the outlook of the future Chicago bears. Cause those are expensive positions that you don't have to spend much money at. Yeah. And look, they, they may go out there and, you know, splash 20 million at right tackle kind of thing and, and try and beef up the line there. Maybe they believe in Borum. I don't believe in Borum. I've said that I've been pretty consistent about that. I know he's still popular amongst a lot of bears fans. It's not that he's terrible. He's not, he's not the worst out there, but I think he's a swing tackle. I don't think he should be starting. I've said, and I've mentioned this on my podcast countless times, that I thought Jones, Whitehair, Patrick, Jenkins, and Reef is the best starting line at this this with this group. That is the absolute best starting line going left to right that they could possibly put out there. We haven't seen it yet together. I would still love to see what that group can do together, especially because I think Riley Reef's ankle might be okay enough where he might be able to hold up out there. Now, I assume when Borum's ready to come, you know, off his concussion and back on the field that he will be back in at, at starting right tackle. But for me personally, in terms of growing Justin Fields, I'd like to see Reef out there. Cause I'd like to see, I think a little better protection, which I think he probably would provide. And at the same time, I don't need to see Borum develop because I don't think Borum is more, you know, maybe a little better than what he's shown, but I don't think there's that much more ceiling to be reached with, with Larry Borum. So the, ni the, the nice thing is you want a tackle. That's good at something. Right. At least offer me a plus somewhere. And while while Braxton Jones, look, I'll be honest with you, Bill, Braxton Jones has not looked like a plus pass protector, no. but he's a plus run blocker. And so if at least he can be a push in pass protection, you've got something right now. I know that I understand that Larry Borum has really solid pass blocking grades on PFF and PFF, the grades, in my opinion, Bill, look, I know there's some people out there that just hate him. I think they are an opinion. That's like hearing Chris Sims hates X player or quarterback, right? It's It matters as much as Chris Sims' opinion, for better or for worse. 
Larry Borm's path blocking has looked incredibly uninspiring to me. I understand that there are plenty of people that love the fact that he doesn't, I don't know, get beat normally, but he gets pushed all the way back into the quarterback with consistency, especially with any rusher that can play with power. And I know I get it saying, wow, he struggles against elite edge rushers. Sounds like that's a lot of players in the league, but Bill, there are elite edge rushers all over the league. Sure. I mean, it is hard to start a week where you don't play a top 10 pick, whether they're performing well or not. But what I will say, okay, so you mentioned a name that got me thinking. I know this is a weird segue, but I do want to ask you, like, is there a player that as we close up before we do final thoughts has been surprising you? Because while he had a nasty drop today, Valus Jones took another two carries for 33 yards. Valus Jones, for as much as I think he gets a lot of deserved flack for not being able to field a punt, was wide open deep downfield and made a physical mistake. He actually looks kind of dangerous. And as he's getting more integrated into the offense, it's not that I have high hopes for him. Bill, we're talking about a third round pick, not a second or a first rounder. But he looks like somebody that could be a viable role player even in a world where the bears completely overhaul the top three receivers and put mooney somewhere in there as a wide receiver four as a gadget player he's somebody that i actually think could become say like the casey Nicole hardman kind of role where you say oh shoot i forgot about him and now he's in the end zone i mean he he runs hard so i'm not as positive on velas as, as you are um yes He's got, he's got <laughs> afterburners and he can get down the field. Absolutely. And that is going to be helpful to this offense. And, you know, no doubt about it. He has some physical traits, but I, if the mistakes and the issues far outweigh the pauses for me right now, I mean, he's been yanked off punt return already. And this was the guy who was part of the reason he was brought in was to be a returner and he can't catch punts. So um, you know, there's been, you know, he drops the ball against fields. Now, was he there? Yeah. He had his defender beat, but to me, there is some concern that, you know, there are plenty of guys with physical traits. I mean, John Ross can beat everyone in a, in a 40 yard dash, but he's nowhere to be found. Uh, was it, uh, Tavon Austin, you know, tremendous, you know, kind of talent and physical specimen, but never really turned into anything in the NFL. So there are guys like that, that you sit there and go, God, they could be such a weapon, but they just, you just don't know yet. And I think there's just still too many questions around Bellis to get too excited. I did see, you know, someone with an idea today on Twitter that maybe he'd be a better running back than a wide receiver, maybe more of a Tariq Cohen than, than, than a Debo Samuel. And I know he's not Debo Samuel, but when he was drafted, everyone goes Debo Samuel. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just bringing that up, but you know, it's and Samuel is a guy who who got run, so I'm not I'm not saying that that's not you know potentially there, but maybe having him in the backfield more. I don't know, it, you know that's something I think that Luke Getzey is going to have to kind of figure out more, and Vellis is going to have to figure out more exactly how to succeed in this offense. But look, he's got physical traits, and when your wide receiver core is is what it is. You know, I, is he ever going to be a, a top three wide receiver at this point? It's way early in his career. I get that. I don't think he's going to be. Like you said, a gadget wide receiver four. Yeah, that, that may be something where he can make a splash play, you know, once a game or once every other game. I think that's a possibility. But in terms of being a consistent guy who's getting 30 snaps a game, 25 snaps a game, I don't see that in his future. You know, I need to see more from him before I'm going to speak too positively. Well, of course. I think, Bill, it's all a matter of remembering the player we're talking about, right? I think a lot of people have unfairly decided that Valus Jones needs to be more than a normal third-round pick is because he was the first receiver taken in a, in a year where people felt like Justin Fields didn't get enough help, right? I mean, let's say that Valus Jones had been added to an already really solid receiver room. The the plays that he's starting to make, because remember, he had a hurt hamstring. He missed all of training camp. Sure. He missed the first four weeks. He is not up to speed on the offense. And I have to imagine that he's going to get in more involved. It's not that I think, to be clear, Bill, it's not that I'm trying to excuse him for things. It's more that when I look into the future, we are getting as good as we could get from ESB right now. Asking for more from ESB is asking for the moon, truly, because he's not going to suddenly get more sudden. Right. But Valus Jones, if he can run a post route from the slot, if he can run like when he got open, he didn't get open because the defense forgot about him. 
It sucks he dropped the ball, but it looked like he just beat him with speed. That's something that the defense eventually has to account for. And like you're talking about, I mean, is he going to be a 25, 30 snap a game guy? I don't know. But doesn't every Super Bowl team, if I'm going to go all the way there, Bill, let's drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. Doesn't every Super Bowl team have that one guy that makes two to three plays a game and that's about it? But those two to three play is those two to three plays get you first downs, keep the chains moving, and ultimately help you win games. You do need a roster. I mean, like Travis Gibson, you said or, or you said way earlier in the podcast, like, are we looking to throw him out? You need rotational guys. You need depth. If there's anything positive we can say about the Bears right now, they are loading up on quality second stringers. I mean, not everybody's going to be one, right? But Dominique Robinson, Travis Gibson, Kendall Vildor, Valus Jones, these guys look like players that you might be able to do something with. Uh, at this stage, like, or once they get a little bit more acclimated, get some more time in the league and you just need them for a game or two, right? Uh, let's say that the top three receivers, somebody's hurt. Valus is pressed in the role where he has to be a wide receiver three. How bad is it going to be? I don't really know because we haven't seen him fully caught up in the offense, but was there any player to segue back to you though, that surprised you today, if not for Valus that we haven't talked about yet? <sighs> Let's see. Um, in terms of anyone that 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 jumped off the page, I no one jumped off the page, but I will say that Nikhil Harry has a purpose. Uh, I think you know he's a big body, he's a good blocker, and you know could he have a role on this team next year? I think that's a possibility. Not not as a, a wide receiver two or anything, but as a body and a guy that can get in the rotation on the back end of the wide receiver core. You know, I, I liked what I, I've seen there the last couple of weeks. You know, again, like I said, he's not going to be a six catch, you know, 65 yard guy with a touchdown. That's that's not going to be his role in this offense. But in terms of like you said, like Vellis could be useful, like Nikhil Harry can be useful if he's used properly. So, you know, that was that was a pleasant surprise. But I, I, I think overall. I guess if you want, and we talked about him a little bit, and again, I'd want to go back and look and make sure I'm not, you know, speaking incorrectly. I thought Riley Reef played pretty well, and I had heard that his ankle was still a major problem, but he seemed it seemed to hold up okay. So, you know that 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 was a positive there. But you know, in terms of individual performances on the defense, there are none that are, are popping off the page for me after forty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts on the game, Bill. What you got? Well, here, here's what I want to do for final thoughts for today, because I, I want to talk about, obviously, Justin Fields is the guy that we've been talking about a, a lot. And we spent the huge chunk of the first half of this podcast talking about him. And, you know, for people like myself that had an issue with how Ryan Pohl set up this offense, and I'm not going to go into everything, because traditionally second year is the year where you really see quarterbacks come into your own and you kind of have your answer by the end of year two, if this guy is going to be, you know, top 12 in the league, or if you need to keep looking. But the one guy that the development was a little slower was Josh Allen. And am I saying he's going to, you know, Justin Fields is going to be a top two quarterback in the league next year and the year after that. No, he obviously has further to go, but you keep hearing the Josh Allen comparisons. So I went back and, and looked at, at year two of Josh Allen. And what happened with Josh Allen out of the gate in year two is he was atrocious. He was horrible to start in year two. Then he started to come into his own, but a lot of people had already written him off and weren't really paying attention. So Josh Allen, in his final 11 games of the 2019 season, completed 58% of his passes you know, I'll give you some of the stats. I know some of these are volume numbers, but 20, really 2,200 yards, 17 TDs, three interceptions. He was still sacked 29 times in those 11 games, and he had 380 yards rushing at about a 4.9 clip with six touchdowns. His yards of attempt, which is one that you can, can kind of carry over here, 6.71. So, you know, that's if you eliminate Fields, or I'm sorry, Allen's first four games of the year. Right. If you eliminate Justin Fields' first four games of the year and just kind of focus on... Now, I'm not eliminating the Washington game. Keep that in mind. Washington game is part of this. We're talking Minnesota, Washington, and now New England and Dallas. 59 for 92. That's at 64%. So right now, 6% higher than what Josh Allen was in year two. He is passer rating. I know it's flawed, 
Josh Allen, 92.1. Justin Fields is now at 97.6. Fields has been sacked 15 times. So, I mean, that's going to be a significantly higher sack percentage than what Josh Allen was at. But yards per attempt, where Allen was at 7, uh, I'm sorry, 6.7, 7.9 for Justin Fields. Ooh. And 277 yards rushing at a 6.6 yards clip, and he's got two touchdowns already. So right now, Justin Fields here in these last four games, except for sacks and the uh, the interception ratio a little bit, Justin Fields is at or better than where Josh Allen, you know, where how Fields is playing now, where Josh Allen was those those back 11 games of 2019. So if Fields, the way Fields has been playing, starting with the basically the second half of the Minnesota game, moving forward here, and I like I said, and I know the Washington game, I, I don't blame Fields on that. I think that was a lot of terrible offensive line play and terrible scheming from Luke Getze, but. Overall, when we're looking at these games, if Fields keeps this performance going, he is going to be on a similar track to what Josh Allen was. And if Field, if you're going to have a top 10, top 12 quarterback in the league, which I think everyone agrees is what you need to be a competitive team in the Super Bowl, then Fields is on his way. Again, if you use the Josh Allen trajectory, he can he can be that guy, you know, next year and the year after. Absolutely. I mean, Bill, I, I I think this was, I mean, I think this was Fields' best game of his career. Just this, obviously, I'm going off instant reaction, right? But for as good as he looked and as efficient as he looked last week, this week, Dallas made him earn every single yard that he had. He had to throw with guys in his face. He had to find, or he had to stand tough in tough pockets. He had to work arm angles, at least five to seven arm angle throws just to get little short gains. He had to Houdini Houdini his way out of pockets, break tackles, run plays well, throw hard fakes. I mean, there were so many things that Fields had to do to keep the ball moving. But at the end of the day, Bill, we are starting to spend so much time time picking apart yards per game yards per attempt epa per play quarterback rating at the end of the day it is about leading drives and scoring points and there has been a correlation for years between explosive plays and points and so everybody looked at the bears because they had tons of explosive plays next to no points bill and they said one of these two has to change Either this offense is going to regress in their explosion rate or they're going to, and nobody actually gave them, you know, the other side of the coin because that's just what everybody said. But there was always the other option where they just started scoring more points. And suddenly we're seeing the Bears go up against Bill Belichick and one of the best defenses in football scored a ton of points. The Dallas Cowboys and one of the best defenses in football scored a ton of points. It is not as simple as saying they're going to roll everybody. Quarterback development isn't linear, and games exactly like this are why you say that, because somebody says he scored 29 against the Cowboys. Why didn't he score 80 against the Dolphins, right? Why didn't he score 45 against the Lions? It might be more realistic. But I thought Fields looked in control. I thought Fields looked good. I thought he distributed the ball wherever where it needed to be, and he allowed his team to fail him instead of him becoming part of the problem that his team needed to lift up, right? That's all of the semantic context that we've been looking for. I mean, simply put, everybody keeps wondering, why do we focus so much on Josh Allen, right? First of all, we don't have a whole season of Jalen Hurts, who was the last quarterback to be written off in year two. We don't have a whole season of Tua Tagovailoa, for better or for worse. So we can't necessarily point to him either. But more importantly, Bill, how many examples do we really have in NFL history of a quarterback not seeing like offensive investment for their second year and still playing well. What does it statistically look like when a quarterback is playing well on a team that's given him nothing? We don't have a lot of examples to pull from because it's rare, right? Fields all the same. I could care less. I mean, he's hitting big throws. He's got way more, I would say, tough completions, just throws that are hard to hit than he has massively inaccurate passes. And he has some inaccurate passes. That throw to Dante Pettis that Pettis had to pull it away from his man probably was a pick, but 
Pettis made the play and guys throw stuff like that all the time. I mean, simply put, uh, Bill, I will take a quarterback that gives me three touchdowns per interception. That doesn't bother me. A tur- the occasional turnover sucks, but it's not that big a deal. I loved watching Fields in this game. I hope he builds, but most importantly, Bill, this was such a turnabout from how we felt after the Texans game, where it was like, oh gosh, is this whole year for nothing? Similar way to the way that we felt after the Washington game, is this whole year for nothing? And if nothing else, this is starting to make it look like Luke Getze and Justin Fields have found an offense that they could agree on. People wondered, Bill, I'll close with this, because it's becoming too long of a rant, but people wondered how on earth you could possibly develop Justin Fields given the lack of receivers around him. And I think we're seeing it. What it looks like is that the Bears needed to figure out what base template offense they were even going to work off of before they invested. If they went out and got a vertical stretch receiver and then they didn't end up liking Fields in a vertical stretch offense, what do you do with the guy who just paid a bunch of money? Right Right. now, the bears know what they're looking for. They're starting to know what they need to find. They need to find better offensive line. They need to find better defense, like, or like not better defense in general, better defensive linemen. They need to go get you a receiver, at least one that can break loose on the outside. A Quinton Johnston from TCU comes to mind. DK Metcalf type player that I think fields could do really, really well with um, so that they can stretch the field and open more things up for Darnell Mooney. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about here, but if the Bears leave this season where Fields is healthy, you know, keep your fingers crossed, and the Bears have found an offense that they can really build off of, they'll better understand who they need to get, when they need to get them, and that is exciting. Bill, thank you so much for jumping on with me. I know we went a little bit long, but go ahead and tell the people where they can find you and your work. So, yeah, you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Zimmerman SXM. And, of course, the podcast, the Bears Banter, not Bear With Me. I almost said Bear With Me. Bears Banter is my weekly podcast during the season and occasional podcast in the off season. But, uh, yes, uh, that will be on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel, which, of course, you can find, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. So, uh, you want to check it out. You know, Courtney Cronin had a great conversation with her last week, ESPN's Beats, and, and there's still plenty of relevant conversation in there. You can go check that out. But, uh, you know, plan on having great guests uh, week in and week out, and, and that's the plan this week as well. Should be a killer one, Bill. Next up, we've got the Dolphins. But before we get there, I'll see you guys on All 22 Tuesday as we go through the film. And obviously, we'll talk a lot about Justin Fields. We'll watch as much as the defense as we can stomach. But until then, Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.